Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, everybody, um, this is, uh, I'm a very, very, very excited about this podcast interview. It's one that I really, a topic that I haven't really touched on um, in the interviews that I've done. And um, Matt and Sabrina are here with me today. Um, they were on a trip in Mexico and some things unfolded that led Matt to a Mexican prison. And Sabrina and Matt are going to share with you a little bit about their story and how they literally sought light and how they got the strength to go through what they went through. And so, um, I just welcome Matt and Sabrina. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yes. <laughs> Good. Okay. So Sabrina, let's start with you. Um, why don't you just share a little bit with everybody? Where did you grow up a little bit about your family growing up and then how you met Matt? Okay. Um, I pretty much always lived in Mesa. Um, we lived here, um, just yeah, in Mesa, Arizona, and um, grew up here. I went just for a little while, age like six to 13. We lived in Eager, Arizona, if anyone knows where that is, a small little town, but otherwise we moved back here to Mesa and um, went to Mesa High, and that is actually where I met Matt, was um, at Mesa High. He was, we were same grade, and um, we met a little before our senior year, but didn't know each other really that well until the end of our senior year. And then, um, kind of started dating after high school more, but we kind of started getting to know each other at the end of our senior year, went to prom together and yeah, that's kind of how we got to know each other. And then he went on his mission and we wrote each other. And then when he came back, we got married. How soon did you guys get married? Um, I was back in February and we got married in August. Oh, wow. That's fast. That's good. That's how, yeah. that's how my husband and I, we were five months after he got home. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. So Matt, you grew up in Mesa too then? Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised, uh, basically almost lived within 10 square miles of where we live now even. And, uh, um, besides my mission and Eastern Europe and Latvia, you know, I've just enjoyed my time here. <laughs> so you, here. you served a mission in Latvia? Mm -hmm. I speak Latvian and uh, some Russian, but uh, yeah, I was there basically from uh, 03 to 05. So was, what, um, what did your career path, where did you, do you, did you both work or did you start your family and Sabrina, did you stay home, Matt? Do you, what, what did you do for your career? Um, well, we had no clue what we were going to do, neither one of us, but, uh, once we got started, um, things just kind of fell into place and I worked full time and went to school full time for quite a while. And then towards the end, basically was only doing schooling and, um, now she, she stayed home ever since basically we started having kids uh, up until recently, she started to work part-time a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, stayed home with kids and that's kind of the way we wanted it. And we've been blessed to do it. So it's been great. 
That's awesome. Okay, so let's start with, let's begin at the beginning. What led you guys to decide to take a trip down to Mexico? Uh, well, we have friends that uh, have a family member that has like a condo down there that um, she allows them to just go down and spend time with. And so we've been down there with them uh, just one time prior to this, two, right? Two, two times, times prior, yeah. okay. Um, and uh, um, enjoyed it, had fun. Yeah. Kids love it, you know, just sitting on the beach and just in Rocky Point was our destination. Um, and uh, just this time things went differently. So we, now, we were it, going. it was in this year, right? 2022? Yeah, yeah, 2022 in May. May, yeah, right. It was the day after the kids got out of school. Mm -hmm. So you head down to Mexico. How long are you down there for? Um, well, we had planned on staying down there from like Friday to Monday, basically was our plan. And so kids were out of school Thursday, left early Friday. It was kind of a last minute deal that we were going to go um, because the other family we were going with uh, was sick. And so and then deciding, okay, we're going to go. And so we went, packed up all of our stuff, headed down, and um, basically got to the border like we'd done the other two times. That was only, I guess, my third time driving across the border, um, ever driving across the border, even though I lived in Mexico my whole life. I've, we've, we've flown to Mexico a few times. But anyway, so third time driving across the border and... Uh, the border patrol there asked if we had any guns or ammo. And at that moment, I remembered I did have a pistol in my truck that had been in there for years. Last time I touched it, I put it in there going on a shooting activity with the young women in our church, actually. So that's why the gun was still in my truck. It's in a spot that you wouldn't see even cleaning the truck, really. Um, anyway, and I told the guy I did have a gun, foolishly. And uh, Sabrina was trying to tell me, no, I don't, uh, because I think she appreciated what was happening more than I did in the moment. I kind of just was panicked in my mind saying, oh, no, I do have this gun. Um, anyway, so they saw the gun. They took me and the truck away, left Sabrina and our four kids on the curb right there at the border in Mexico. And I went to the local jail there in Sonoida. They had to find a cab and uh, use the friends that were with us to get our stuff down to where we were going in Rocky Point. And then her mom and dad came down and picked them up the next day and took them home. So um, I just so because I've never crossed, I've flown into Mexico, but I've never drove into Mexico. Can you kind of, so that people have a picture in their mind, do you just go over the United States border and then literally, or is there anything with the United States border heading into Mexico that they check or ask you questions about? So there's nothing. It almost looks like you're coming, you've seen like the, the stops in like California and other states where they have just like random stops, stops. on the highway. Yeah, right? yeah. This almost looks like that as you're going through Sonoya, through, through Nogales, Arizona, it looks very busy on both sides of the border, but um, at Sonoida, Arizona, or it's Lukeville, Arizona, Sonoida, Mexico, um, there's really nothing on the U.S. side, just a little gas station right before the border. Um, 
and then you drive through and then you are in the city of Sonoyta, Mexico, which, which is, it's not big, but it's a little city. Sabrina, what were you feeling when they took the truck and Matt? Um, I was feeling just confused. Like I wasn't totally sure, like what was totally happening. Um, I don't know, I guess I wasn't, I, I wasn't crazy panicked yet. Cause I just, in my mind, I guess I haven't really had horrible things happen in my life. Maybe I guess. So I figured it will all get worked out. It's going to be fine. Like we're going to figure this out. It's not, it's not a huge deal. It's okay. Like I had to keep my head together too, just cause I had to figure things out and I had my kids with me and I couldn't be freaking out with my kids with me and kind of thing. So it was just like, okay, let's get to the condo and regroup and then kind of figure out what we're going to do. So at that point I wasn't, I I mean, I was scared, but I wasn't, I figured it would be figured out. Like we would get it figured out and it would be okay. Um, Matt, what were the laws that so they do they not allow you to carry have a gun on you in Mexico even if you did you I mean I'm sure you had a legally had it and so what what was it that they were supposing that you were doing yeah in in Mexico you're not allowed a firearm ammo nothing you're not allowed to have anything like that um and uh I knew that but it just didn't occur to me to uh take it out you know like I'm not a a huge hunter or anything I just happen to have a few guns that my dad left me and uh that was one of the guns I took shooting so the other ones I took out of the truck that one I left um but uh anyway uh yeah it's 100% illegal to take them down there but we we've I've heard of people having this happen in the past and um in the past, you used to be able to go down and basically pay off the DA at the local jailhouse there. And then you go, you go home, you know, but uh, things that's, have changed. Yeah. That's what we were hope, hoping for. I was figuring we'll just pay somebody. Yeah. Like I've heard of this. People just, you just got to pay the bribe and then you're done or whatever. But, but yeah, I think it's because they don't want guns because they think you're selling guns to cartel, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. why you're not allowed to have guns in Mexico at all. And there are people going down there to sell guns. So in their defense, it's happening. Um, and I even met people in there who were. So it's uh, not a fake thing that they're trying to stop the inflow of guns and all. That's, you know, in their defense, they're 100% it's right. Legit. Mm-hmm. It's legit. It's legit. It's a legit problem coming down <laughs> from the U.S. down there. Um but yeah, we, we didn't know at all, you know, even in those first hours, what was going on, you know, and the people at the border arresting me and nobody spoke English. They were just using Google Translate on their phones to talk to me and tell me to just stay calm. We're just going to go talk to uh, the judge or something at the prison or at the at the jailhouse there, the local one. Uh, just stay calm, let us do our job and everything and, you know. That was basically the first part of it. So how long did you sit in the jail there on the border uh, initially? Um, yeah, yeah. They, they threw me into the jail there um, that evening, probably around five or six. Um, that was Friday. And I stayed there. There was another American in there, 73-year-old man who lives about five miles away from us here in Mesa, who 
same deal. He has a place down there. He goes all the time to Rocky Point because he actually owns a, a house down there, um, but just forgot to take a gun out of his car also. And so he and I actually ended up going for the whole ride together through the whole thing, um, which was a huge blessing, just having someone else there with me, you know. But anyway, so I was there um, basically one day in that jail, and then they drove us to Aramisio the next day, which is about four hours away. Were you able to call Sabrina and tell her this is what's going on, or did they not allow you any contact? Um, once I was actually in the jail, they, they didn't want me to call on anyone, but uh, there was one person that was really nice there at the jail and could tell we weren't like there because of, you know, real nefarious reasons other than, you know, forgetting to take the guns out of our car. Anyway, he let me actually have my cell phone back. Um, hopefully he doesn't get in trouble if anyone hears of this. <laughs> But uh, I'm sure it won't get back there. But anyway, let me have the phone. So I was able to text her and call her for a minute. And then she was able to visit me the next day um, when she was on the way home with her parents just for a few minutes. So did the kids just stay with your mom and dad, Sabrina, in the car? So, yeah, when I went to be able to visit him. So, yeah, so we went down on Friday with my friends and my friend's um, husband was calling lots of people to try to figure out how, what are we going to do? Like what's supposed to happen? And this whole time I'm thinking he's going to figure it out. And then we're just going to be able to get him out. And then, um, so the kids were just like swimming at the resort pool. We were just trying to keep it not panicky and everything. And then um, my friend's husband came to me and she just said, uh, he said, Hey, um, I talked to a friend that got in touch with a lawyer and everything. He said, and Matt's going to have to be there for at least a month. He will be in prison for at least a month. Um, and then that's kind of when I guess the panic set in more or the realization that this was a really big thing that was going to happen. And so um, at that point, I called my parents. I wasn't going to tell my parents. My mom was already nervous about Mexico. So I was going to wait till me and Matt came home together, you know, um, and then be like, hey, this was crazy, but everything worked out okay. But at that point, I realized I needed them because we also needed to, yeah, bring money and stuff uh, to, to get take care of things and get the system ro rolling with his process. But Anyway, so I had to call my dad and tell him that I needed rescuing from Mexico. So then they came the next day because they needed to get money out. And so then, yeah, the next day they came and got us. Um, and yeah, they worked it out where I was able to see him real quick in the jail um, on our way out to through the border again. And so we just got to see him. It was a very teeny little place that him and this other guy were in. And um, I was able to just talk to him really quick like I don't know maybe two minutes or something it was really yeah. fast but got to see him um what was going to be the last time for two months did um, you tell Matt what your friend had told you about at least a month in in prison at uh, that time at that point, I, I had spoken to a couple different lawyers Mexican lawyers that were down there and they kind of already exposed me to that concept that it was going to be about that long. Um, 
So I was already understanding that at first we thought maybe three to four weeks would be the quickest we'd be able to get out, but I knew it would at least be that long. And then they were saying at most two months, like at that point, the lawyer already knew it's going to be about two months, but he probably didn't want to tell me that yeah. bluntly, you know, so. Was um, it emotional, the conversation that you guys had together for two minutes, or was it more literally we're on autopilot, we just got to get through this? Or did you guys feel like uh, this is the last time I'm going to see you for two months? It was emotional. Yeah. yeah. I, at that time, I didn't realize it was going to be that long. I still, I guess, felt like, no, everything's going to, it's going to be like three weeks in, in my mind. But yes, it was still very, um, it was very emotional. Yeah. For sure. And I just felt horrible, you know, for so many reasons that it happened, you know, it could have so easily have been avoided and just didn't think to take the gun out, you know, it could have been avoided. So I, so many different ways if we would have taken a different vehicle you know it wouldn't have happened there's so many things that could have stopped it from happening but it, it happened so sabrina your parents come and get you you head back home and matt they take you further into mexico about four hours away from the border is that correct uh yes yep yeah they drive me over with the other american in there um, and what was he, what was he saying to you? What was this 73 year old man? What, what, what emotions were, is he going through? <laughs> the, you know, the same deal. We ended up having the same lawyer. We had, you know, very similar experiences. We, we were together basically the whole time, the whole time, except for the last few days. But uh, yeah, he just couldn't believe it. And he was the same deal. You know, he was traveling down with his granddaughter um, had a bunch of stuff in a trailer behind the truck he was pulling to fix up his house and just kept saying, uh, even when they told him, you have a gun in your car, he's like, no, no, I don't have a gun in my car, you know, because he knew, don't take a gun down there. And he never would intentionally do it, you know, but just, just forgot. And so initially, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of the thought process of, why didn't I think to take it out? You know, that, that was, that was the initial regret. Um, and I just felt bad for my kids and everything. So we're going down for this trip and my teenage girls, you know, they, uh, actually didn't even want to go on the trip. So it was one of those, <laughs> no, you're going, we're going to spend time together, you know, type of things. And it's going to be awesome. And, you know, it doesn't always turn out the way you plan. So when they took you to that prison in Mexico, what were the conditions like for you there? Um, well, the prison itself actually is, uh, the, the best way I can describe it is almost like military ran, meaning you have a uniform that they have you wear, you have to have it, and like the certain fancier part of the uniform for inspection four times a day um your cell has to stay clean initially for the first month of it i was basically alone with the exception of about 15 minutes in the day again for about 30 days i was in there and uh the other 15 minutes were time allowed for showering and that's basically it unless you were chosen to serve the food to everybody else 
you were able to get out and serve food to everyone in there. Um, but uh, other than that, it was pretty, pretty solitary. Nothing in your room, no books, literally nothing. <laughs> I had my own toilet in my cell. Um, and other than, you know, getting out to shower, that's, that's all they let you do. So how did you really mentally compartmentalize? I mean, you hear so much about people that are in solitary confinement, um, just alone with no interaction, human interaction, no time out. How did you mentally handle that? How, what did you do with your, with your thoughts? Where did they go? Well, they were all over the place, you know, um, and with that much time in the day, you know, you have, uh, not just one up and down in the day, but, but multiple, you know, as you can imagine, you uh, um, just have a lot of time to think. And so you, I just would try to keep myself busy, you know, doing workouts in my cell. Um, you know, I had enough room to do push-ups and sit-ups and stuff like that. I, I had just had a pretty major knee surgery the January or November prior, um, which basically made it to where I, I wasn't walking for three months. Um, I started walking at the beginning of January. So I was five months post that surgery um, at that point. So I had some physical therapy exercises I knew I could be doing. And so I tried to do those to keep my knee healthy and everything. And with all that, I ended up losing over 40 pounds during that two months, you know, the, the food was not anything to write home about but uh, what what kind of food was it <clears throat> um it wasn't mexican food it was prison mexican food which which is very different um uh a lot of bologna a lot of uh beans and rice um and uh hot dogs bread sometimes um other than that, they did have some like stews, potato and chicken in it. Uh, but I just got to where I couldn't really eat it anymore, especially towards the end, just because I didn't want it anymore, <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah, I wasn't eating a lot of food, but there were people in there who loved it. Uh, mostly other Mexicans that were in there in prison who probably had much rougher circumstances at home than I had. Um, and they were getting fat off the food, gaining weight, you know? So it wasn't the quantity that, that made uh, me lose weight. It was uh, just me not wanting to eat it at all. So, um, but you know, it was edible. It was somewhat healthy, you know? Uh, the other guy that was with me had a few other health problems. So he struggled with it just for dietary restrictions, but it was nothing too crazy, nothing too gross. In the jail cells, the food was disgusting, but uh, I was only in the jails for a couple of nights. So, um, but yeah. How many uh, prisoners were there at that prison in Mexico? Um, so there are, I want to, I, I don't remember how many total. In the cell block where I was initially, there was about 30 other uh, inmates there. And then we ended up going halfway through to general population where there could have been about double of that, but it really ended up being around 52, somewhere around there. And, and that cell block was um, 
about half Americans and uh, of half of those were people just like me, um, not intending to be there at all. And then the other half were there because they had made poor choices. Um, so I got to meet all sorts of other people there in that cell block were also other Mexicans, um, cartel members, people had been in there 10 plus years already for various reasons all across the board um, to the worst of things to other silly things. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to meet a lot of different people. Did you connect with any of the other um, Americans that were in there besides that man that was with you from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I was able to meet all those. I, I only was able to talk to two Americans during the first half. One was from Nogales, Arizona, same scenario. He forgot his gun was in his car. He went to Mexico all the time. Um, also, he's a younger guy, younger than I am. Um, anyway, so I was able to talk to him and that other guy from Mesa for the first month. And then after that, uh, with all those other Americans, yeah, we I spent a lot of time with them, you know, every day. <laughs> and uh, we would do things from playing games to playing volleyball at that point. Um, during that second half, it's a lot more free. Um, you get, you're able to get out of your cell four hours a day and play volleyball. And they do have a little TV there that's playing Spanish shows all the time, which didn't interest me either, um, but uh, yeah, I was able to play board games. They have this board game in there that they play. And um, yeah, I got to know a lot of the guys really well. And some of them are the nicest guys in the world, even, even ones that had made poor choices to get where they were at that point. You know, they really nice guys just made some bad decisions. So Sabrina, Matt's there. He's moved in. You're back home. What are you doing? Like, what are some of the things that you're trying to figure out about how to get him home? Like, what was the process? Were you calling multiple people? Were you calling Mexican authorities? What were you doing to try to help figure this out with him? Um, at the beginning, I kind of thought it just would be like figured out on its own. I don't know. I didn't really, I, anyway, but then the more I talked to like the lawyer, which was really hard. Our lawyer was amazing, but um, he only spoke Spanish and I don't speak any Spanish. So it was hard to communicate with him, but um, we uh, got in touch with the, the court translator there and um, he was was able to speak to me in, in English and he was very good to kind of set it, all the things that needed to be done. Like we needed to get um, letters of reference, character letters. So I needed to get, um, some letters from people in Matt's life that could attest to his character and that he was a good guy. And um, so I set off trying to figure out, you know, some good people to do that for him, like people in the church, since um, Matt's in the bishopric here and um, in our ward, um, I figured that the church would be good and a good one too have sent there plus people from his work and people from his like childhood that have known him, you know, all the way from when he was a kid. Um, so I started working on those. Um, and then I was kind of just told the different things, um, I needed to send like birth certificates and 
marriage certificates and stuff like that, proving that we were married and that he had kids and that he's a family man. And, um, anyway, things like that. So there were, there were, um, things like that, that I was trying to do sometimes, especially as it got longer and longer. Um, I just had the doubts of, is this lawyer who I should have went with? Um, and we didn't really know much about him. Um, we just kind of got set up with him because he happened to be down at the jail when Matt was put in there. And, um, so there was lots of praying of just, just knowing if what, <clears throat> if this was the path that I needed to take, if this, I just felt like the decisions I was making were important on whether he was going to get out and how long he was going to be in there. So, um, I had to just be very, um, sensitive to the spirit to help guide me just to know whether or not um, what I was doing was the right path because it was so unknown. There wasn't a lot of people to, you know, get answers for that with, um, even though I did talk to some other people that had been through it and the more I talked, the more I talked to them, um, I realized that, you know, this seemed to be the process that it was, you know, I needed to be taking and that it was going to just take a while. And, um, yeah. So I just been kind of working on those things. Matt and I were able to talk once a week. He was able to call, um, every, when he was in solitary confinement or the COC, um, for the first 30 days, he was able to call on Wednesdays. And so I just had my phone with me constantly, um, ready for his call. And so he would call on Wednesdays and we'd get to talk for 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes every Wednesday. And then, um, so we'd always kind of just do business first, um, like, okay, what's going on and what needs to happen pretty much. And then, um, then we would kind of just say our, I love yous and, um, things like that. And then we would kind of just talk cause it would just, the line would just go dead. So we would just talk as long as we could. And then the line would just go dead or whatever. So, um, those were great. It got harder. Um, the, the first couple of times was just great to talk to him, of course. And I always looked forward to the calls, but then it was very hard the rest of that day, um, to kind of just, uh, get my emotions back in check. And, um, with him being in this COC, the solitary confinement closer to the end, just every call, he was more and more defeated. Um, at the beginning, we didn't, we didn't know, we really didn't know what, what was going to happen. And especially me, I'm just hearing rumor after rumor from other people in there, you know, that tell me all sorts of stuff, you know, some guys will say, oh, you'll be out in a few weeks. Other guys, you know, you, oh, you'll, you'll be here like eight months and then you'll get out, you know, and all, all sorts of things. Um, and the lawyer doesn't come and talk to you. No, no one talks to you. So I have zero communication to the outside world the, the entire time I'm in it for the whole two months with exception of this 10 minute phone call every week, you know, and uh, if the phones worked in the first place, which luckily we never had it to where I didn't get a phone call each week. Um, but we know several people who they weren't able to get a phone call like the first three weeks, even, you know, because um, the phones were down or the people weren't able to dial the number they wrote down properly or other things. So, you know, in some ways that could have gone worse <laughs> yeah. as bad as it was only having 10 minutes each week, you know? And uh, so we're both, 
you know, just praying to get things figured out to make it to where everything works properly. And like she said, the lawyer seemed very opportunistic that uh, he was there at the jail, you know, just waiting for these Americans almost to get arrested. That's how it came off. And so we're like, okay, do we have the right guy? And I'm hearing my own things while I'm in there about him from other people and, and they're not good. Um, but he ended up being a very good lawyer, but very good for us, an honest lawyer, which can be very difficult to find down there. Um, and then this other guy, the translator guy was very helpful too, um, because he was into the system. So he was able to work, work the system and help things move along. Um, Sabrina, who did you have to help you emotionally? Was it your family, a sibling, a friend? Who was there for you to kind of give you the strength to get through it? Um, I've learned through this that our support system is huge. We have um, a huge support system I had just great, great friends that were constantly calling. Um, I had meals brought in for like the first three weeks, I think that Matt was gone, um, which was huge. And, and the person setting it up, she, she's like, I'm going to set this up. And like, then 20 minutes later, three weeks were filled up to, for people to bring me food. Um, I had, um, I had my family who are really close by. And so um, my mom was every day I got, I talked to my mom and she was always like, what do you need? Or, or what did you hear? Um, there was times I would get lots of information at one time and it was hard to process it. What, what needed to be done or, or the possibility of how long he was going to be in there or whatever. I would sometimes receive just so much information. And so, um, I would always call my mom and she didn't have the answers necessarily, but I just needed to speak it. I just needed to be able to let all that out of what I just heard and try to process it. And she was just there to help and listen while I processed it. Um, there was times I'd have to like drop off money um, to help pay for things that were going on in Mexico. And my dad went with me to, you know, just make sure I was safe and that things were okay. Um, and so he was great. Also just, um, family, the people in my ward were so amazing. They were great with my girls and making sure that they were entertained and, um, and, uh, doing okay emotionally. And, and so that, that helped out a lot as well. And, um, we just had constant people everywhere. I, I've never, I've just never felt so much love and support from everyone around. So. Yeah, we, we had no idea how many people would even care. <laughs> well, his work people too. I um I had to get in contact with his work and let them know what was happening. So they were, knew why he was gone for so long. And the outreach from his work was amazing too. They I, I got a cot they did a Costco run, like six or seven of his work people got together and put their money together. And I just had any, every kind of cleaning supply and frozen foods and paper towels and paper plates. And it was a huge thing that they got dropped off at my door. And 
texts from them and they don't know me, they know my husband, but they were just always, how is Matt and what, what can we do? And, and they stepped up to help him too. We're going to back him up and we'll, we'll make sure that we take care of his responsibilities until he gets back. And um, that was really amazing to see too, is how his work um, responded to all of this as well. That's amazing. Um, Matt, how did the guards treat you, uh, you guys, like, were they compassionate guards? Did they want to try to have conversations with you? What, what were they like? What was it like? Uh, I had never really at any point felt threatened by any of the guards, um, at any point and, and really not many of the, not, not from the inmates either. The, the whole time I was in there, I, I was very blessed. Um, it, it could have gone a lot worse in that respect, but, uh, the guards were really nice, uh, especially in the prison. They all are just doing their jobs, you know. They're, they're there, and and the, the system is what it is, and they are just basically there to get their job done and go home. And um, and they're good at it. A lot of them, they, they just go there, and like I said, it's military ran, and so they make sure everybody is staying safe and uh, they try to respond to any requests that they can, but they can't really do much to help people even with, you know, things like medical issues, you, you don't really get anything. It's just, <laughs> you're there for two months, as long as you just sit back and be quiet, you know, there's, there's usually no problems. But uh, yeah, I never really felt threatened, thankfully. Did you have any time where you were able to have gospel discussions with individuals or did you meet anyone there that was a member of the church? I mean, um, was there anything like that that happened for you there? Uh, there was in the first half, uh, kind of the solitary part of it all. There was uh, a Mexican guy in there who, um, uh, was a member. And the only way I found out is he saw me praying <laughs> and it happened to be Sunday and he didn't speak any English at all. So I speak very little Spanish, but between it all, we found out, you know, we were both uh, members of the church and, uh, just talked about praying and how he was praying and everything. And, um, his mom was supporting him and stuff. Uh, but then after that, when I got him with the Americans, um, there were quite a few gospel dis discussions. There were no other uh, members from our church there, but there were a lot of Christians. And so I, I was able to get a Bible at that point. And so I had a lot of discussions with people who um, had already a strong faith themselves and with other ones who um, were really struggling, especially being where they were at that time. And uh, um, but yeah, I had a lot of discussions. So it was very rewarding that, rewarding in that way. At the same time, I'm going through my own stuff, you know, obviously being in there. And so hearing their concerns are ones that I have also, you know, um, and we can dive into that more in a minute, but yeah, lots of discussions. Um, do you have any spiritual experiences that really brought you comfort during that time? Uh, there, there were several. Um, I learned, 
you know, at the very beginning, I would pray probably around 30 times a day, <laughs> something like that. Um, a lot for myself, obviously, but a lot for my family, my wife, just going through all this stuff, you know, because um, I couldn't do anything. You know, I'm in there just behind bars the whole time, just waiting for the next phone call to find out, okay, any news? <laughs> um, anyway, so th there were daily things that would happen. And I, I learned in there that uh, your doubts creep up real quick, right? Um, when you have a lot of time to yourself. And so I would just pray again and pray again. And I learned a lot about spirit, um, the warning voice of the spirit telling me uh, it was going to be longer than I hoped it was going to be, <laughs> which at the time I didn't fully understand. Because, um, you know, whenever you're in, the, you're in the middle of a trial, you uh, want to pray it away right away, right? Um, and I know what it feels like to not have that happen. You know, at least for a few months. I know a lot of people have trials that uh, are going to be there for the rest of their lives. And so I, I have a lot of empathy for them now. But uh, I do know that the Lord answers prayers. And he was with me. And then when I got out and kind of heard everything happening on the outside, um, 10 minutes is a very short amount of time, you know? And so I didn't know until about uh, three weeks, three or four weeks into the whole thing that I was still gonna have my job when I got out. And I love my job. <laughs> And I worked hard to get where I am. And it's, I'm in a bit upper position where I work. So losing it would have been a really big deal. Um, but I found out, like she said, uh, about three or four weeks in that my job was good. My work was just solid behind me in so many ways, um, which was a huge blessing. And then about around that time, uh, maybe a week later, we found out, okay, the, the deal had been made between the lawyer and the prosecutor, and I was going to get out at my next court date. So we just were waiting to find out when that court date was going to be. Um, and the court system is very slow there, very slow. So that didn't end up happening for another four weeks, um, which is common. Uh, and that timeline follows through for basically everybody else that was in there. Um, the guy that was arrested the same day before me just got out a few days before I did. Um, but yeah, at that point, once we finally figured out, okay, the deal had been made, um, which there's a little bit more to that story uh, as far as uh, there, there were doubts that I was even going to get the deal to get out within two months. I, I could have been in there a lot longer because I ended up being charged for my gun and ammo separately. Um, so I had multiple charges on me. Um, but they ended up making the deal. And so at that point, I was just killing time. And I knew that it was just 
just had to get the court date finally. And the lawyer couldn't do a lot to speed that process up because they were so busy down there with the court system. And they have all sorts of weird holidays where they just shut down and nothing's happening. Um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the second half was, was just the, the waiting game, knowing I'm going to be able to go home to my family, to my beautiful life that I had that I didn't fully appreciate at all before I got in there, you know? Um, and that, that was a huge takeaway for us, for, for me especially, is while I was in there, I had this big, and I, I, and I called it this multiple times, but big, it's a wonderful life moment, you know, where George Bailey comes back after um, realizing what life would be like if he had never been born. Um, just so ecstatic to get back to the life that he thought he hated before. Um, not that I hated life before, but I definitely was not um, appreciated the way that I should have because life is just amazing. Everything was just going so good for us. We have such a good family, good friends, um, a lot of people that just love us that uh, I love even more now that I know kind of what, what they did for us, especially, you know, while we were in there, what they did for my wife and family. So it's amazing in that way. Sabrina, how did the children, um, what were your conversations like with the kids as time kept going on? Like about dad and when's dad coming home and what were some of their concerns and how did you try to comfort those concerns? Well, like at the very beginning, you know, I didn't really know. And so um, when we were driving home from Mexico, I didn't really tell them. I hadn't told them yet that like it could be a month, at least a month. I hadn't really told them yet that yet because he didn't have his he was going to meet with the judge on Sunday. And I thought maybe we would know more by then. And then I was going to bring it up. But I kind of told my mom a little bit. So when we were in the car driving home, she kind of my mom said something like now, OK, and in two weeks, he should have another court date, right? Or something. Anyway, my mom, you know, we didn't know really much then at that point, but we heard something like that, that he would have like in two weeks, probably a court date to go talk to the judge again. And so she kind of said that. And one of my daughters was like two weeks, like just at that point, she had no idea that it could maybe be two weeks that he was going to be in there, you know, and so then she had to process that at that point, you know, and I just said, I don't know for sure. I have no idea, you know, we didn't, I, so I didn't tell you yet. And anyway, and so she kind of had to process that. Um, I told as time went on and we realized it was going to be more time. I, I just kept telling my little kids. So I, we have a, um, we have an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, eight-year-old girl, 10-year-old boy, and then a 14-year-old girl and 15 and a half-year-old girl. And, um, so the little ones, I just kind of, you know, told them my eight and 10 year old, I just said, Hey, you know, dad is going to be gone a while. And we don't know how long I said, but they're taking care of him. They're going to take care of him until we get him back. And, um, they're little, they're just like, Oh yeah. Cause he's in jail. I'm like, yep. Cause he's in jail. And, and they kind of thought it was almost like kind of a cool thing. And so I, I kind of let them live in that world. Um, and then, um, my older ones, uh, they, they had ups and downs. There was, there was times when we'd have family over and, um, my older daughter would just be crying and I, you know, would go to her and be like, what's wrong. And she goes, why, why I just have a hard time that, you know, Tracy's husband's here. And 
and uh, you know that their dad's here and their dad's here and our dad can't be here like I just feel like it's not fair that he's not here to share in this you know family time and you know different things like that they would just have um, times when it was hard they went to girls camp while he was gone and he was he was going to be there at the girls camp and so you know it was kind of hard sending them to girls camp Um, it was hard for me to send them to girls camp because they were a great um, support to me Um, to have them uh, gone was hard also for me Um, but but they had lots of friends and family you know that helped them through it too but yes there for the older girls there was definitely just ups and downs of processing him being gone um our eight-year-old she was seven at the time and so she had a baptism that was set and ready that uh, we needed to move back because he was not here to um baptize her and so that she she was sad of not being able she was going to be able to get baptized on her birthday was what it was going to be and so she was she was sad that that had to be changed but of course she wanted her dad to be there so there was things like that that would hit them at different times for sure with him being gone um, I wanted to ask the two of you about when you say that the prosecutor and your lawyer made a deal, what does that look like? What did that mean in the Mexican court system? What was it money saying, okay, they've paid this much. He's good. The references are good or referrals. I mean, what, what does a deal look like for them there? Um, so instead of just paying off the DA, like you used to be able to do and and go on your married way. Uh, now you still do that, um, but there are a lot more hands in the pocket in your pockets. Uh, you're basically trying to negotiate um, how much money is it going to cost in order to get my judgment against me to be under four years, um, four years of prison time, basically. And if you're under four years of prison time, you qualify for the benefit of getting out on bond. Um, Prior to that uh, deal being made, um, I could have been convicted, I think up to like eight years or something like that in prison. Um, But they negotiate the deal down and that involves a lot of money, um, basically paying off all sorts of people in the system and getting them to agree uh, to a certain year under the four years. I ended up being sentenced to 3.2 years in the end, um, but it was under four years, is, which is all that mattered. And that made it so that I could get out on the bond. Um, but yeah, you're just paying off a lot of people down there. How, um, how did that financially affect you? Like, uh, oh. it, it ended up costing about $40,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still, uh, right now on probation and probation is going to cost us another three, $4,000 before we're done with that. But, uh, even in that respect, you know, I mean, that is a ton of money, even especially, you know, for us, for anyone, that's a lot of money. Um, but we were just so blessed by friends and family. Um, and, uh, we're, we're, not doing this at all <laughs> to get any, you know, help in that respect. But uh, it, it was very expensive. It was very expensive. But we've been so blessed to be 
where we are today. We are just grateful for everything and everyone. Yeah, Matt's work was good to just, they just used all of his PTO until it ran out. So we were able to at least have that for so many weeks um, too. And then, um, yes, we did a, we did have a, so a friend of a family um, of our family did a GoFundMe and a lot of people, a lot from Matt's work and, and just from people that know us that were able to, they sent money and then just friends and family sending money and, and helping that way um, as well. But we were, yeah, very blessed in that respect to be able to um, be able to pay the money that we needed to. And so. Yeah. Cause there were some people who couldn't that were in there and they're just stuck in there longer longer and they just delay the court date longer until they can negotiate it down um, to under four years. So, wow. I want to know, Matt, what were some things that you missed most about home? What, what were some of the things that you just, when you got home, you thought I missed that so much when I was there. (laughs) Well, my wife is number one, and my kids. Um, really, uh, my brothers, I had two brothers that went down with uh, Sabrina to uh, the last court date to help pay the bond. Um, if you don't pay the bond the day of, then you end up being stuck in the system a little bit longer than you potentially otherwise could get out of. So. They went down there to go pay it. Um, and they asked me like, what, what food do you want when you get out or anything? And, and I told them, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, Food is so low on my priority list right now. Like, uh, the, or the bar was even so low for what I'd been eating and everything that I just loved everything when I got home, just everything, things, you know. And again, going back to the George Bailey thing, I know people who haven't seen it, you need to watch the movie. (laughs) But he gets home and, you know, he has this part of his house where going up the staircase, there's a part of the staircase that breaks every time he walks up the stairs, you know. And prior to the experience he had, he always got frustrated when he touched that part of the stairs, you know, because it, it broke every time. But, you know, even when he got home that time, he came in the house and he and he touched it. And he's like, I love this part of my house, even the broken part of the house. You know, he loved it. He loved seeing it. So that's kind of where I was. OK, can we talk about that day that you knew that you had been told four weeks before the next court date, you'll you'll be able to get out. So can you tell me what that day looked like for both of you, Sabrina? Did, so did you drive down with Matt's brothers the night before or how did that work? Or I'm, you guys tell me how that day looked. Uh, so, so on the phone, just when he found out that he was going to be able to get out, when I told him that it was going to be under the four years, just that conversation, he was so much better. Like the beginning parts in the COC, it was so hard when I would talk to him because he was sounded so defeated, but then from then on, it was, they were a little bit better just because he realized he was going to have his job and he was going to be able to get out. We just had to wait for that court date. And then, um, uh, and then he was in general population where he got to get out more and it was just a lot better. Our phone calls each week for that. But, um, then we heard, um, that his, the, um, old guy that was in there with him, he got a court date, um, 
And so then I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, Matt's going to get his court date then too. And then he didn't get his till like, I don't know, five days afterwards. Yeah. We didn't hear when his court date was going to be. And so that was really hard because I had kind of in my mind been like, okay, I'm going to just pretend that Matt is in there until August, you know? And so I kind of tried to just do that to help build this wall. But then when I heard that he was, his friend was getting out, then it was really hard. So when I finally got, when they finally told me the date, um, and I'd already talked to Matt on a Wednesday and I told him I still didn't have a date, even though he knew his friend had a date. So that was a really hard conversation. Just knowing that I didn't have an answer for him still, I still didn't know. Um, but then it was the next day on the Thursday, I think that's when I found out. Um, and, uh, then I got a call late. It was like at nine o'clock at night and it was my lawyer and the court translator called me and they told me that his date, you know, that he was going to be released. And it was like four days from then or whatever. So, um, that was just so awesome. I just, I needed to hear that so bad. And so then, um, I knew I wasn't going to talk to Matt before for, for like a week. So I wanted him to know. So they, they were able to tell him, um, his friend was able to tell him that he got a court date, but anyway, so then I kind of asked, like, I was thinking, okay, we just have to go down there and, you know, go to the court date, pay the bond, and then we get to come back home. But I talked to the court translator and he kind of showed me that it was going to be a long process. So he's like, you need to come down early on a Tuesday because his court date was going to be on a Wednesday. He's like, come early on a Tuesday. And it's like a six hour drive, a little more than six hours to Aramosillo. And um, he's like, come down so we can kind of sign some things and get everything planned before Wednesday, his court date. And then you're going to have the court date. And then he's going to, then you're going to need to pay the bond money. And then he's going to have to go to immigration you know, he'll be, once you pay the bond money, it'll be about 24 hours, then he'll be released to immigration. And then he can be in immigration from one to six days or something. So, um, I've been in touch with, uh, Matt's family through his brother and I would just talk to the brother and then he would tell everybody everything, but I talked to this brother and he, they were ready. He said, I let, I, he had told his work, from the very beginning, at some point, I'm going to have to leave and go to Mexico. And so he's like, my work knows. Um, and so then when I, I told him, though, I was like, it's not just going to be one night. Like We're going to need to be there for days. And um, he was so good. He just said, that, we're ready. We're ready to go. And so him and another brother went down with me. Um, and uh, we were able to call Matt or Matt called us on a Tuesday. So it switched when he got to general population, he called on Tuesdays. Anyway, I was so scared that we were going to be traveling and I was going to miss this call, but, um, there was a little town just right past a checkpoint, um, on the way down to Mexico. And he called right when we were at that little checkpoint. And, um, so it was a huge blessing too. So we pulled off the side of the road and we were able to talk to him and let him know we were coming and that we were going to be able to, um, be there for the court date. And um, so then we went down and um, Tuesday got to meet the court translator and the lawyer and just talked to them about how the court was going to go. And then um, if I'm saying too much, I don't know why I'm <laughs> you can stop me at any time. Okay. No, please keep going. Okay. So then Wednesday was his court date. And so we went to the court. I didn't get to actually see him. 
I mean, I saw him, but on a TV. So we went to the court room or court and he was there, but he was in another room. And so we just got to watch it on a TV screen and, um, it was in Spanish. So we didn't really know probably what was going on, but, um, anyway, we just watched it on the screen. So I got to see him. Um, and, uh, then they did the, the, tr not a trial, but the hearing, I guess. Right. And, they said that he was um, going to be let out on bond. And then we found out how much we needed to pay. And um, the bank in Hermosillo was closed because of something that happened, um, some damage done to it. And so we would have to drive um, three hours to Nogales or three hours to this other city to pay the bond. But we probably weren't going to have enough time. By the time we got there, it was probably going to be closed. So we just knew that there was a big chance Matt would have to stay even longer because we wouldn't get, be able to get it done. But um, we were able to um, pay the court. The court usually only takes so much money, but um, our court translator was able to work out a deal and we were able to pay straight at the court. So that was a huge blessing so that Matt was able to get out that night, that Wednesday. Well, no, it had to, what well, you didn't get out till Thursday, right? But they told me that Wednesday night that my bond had been paid. Yes. So he didn't know how it was all going to go. And we had a few hiccups of trying to get the money from uh, American money to pesos. Um, but exchange. Yes, we got it just in time, um, which is another huge blessing. But there were all sorts of new challenges along the yes. way. Yes. Yes, that I wasn't a part of, you know, because I'm yes. just behind bars. But she, uh, it was not easy no. around any corner. There, there was always something new that was difficult. Um, but a door would open. It seemed. Yes, we were very, very blessed. And his brothers, his brothers were amazing to be there and um, help through every step of the way. Um, that was huge for me. I told her initially when she was thinking of going down. I said, "Don't." don't come down here um, just because I, I didn't want, they could have arrested her. They could have, and there were, we know people in there who both spouses were, were arrested. Some, the spouse was able to get out before she actually went to prison. We know people right now that are down there, exact same situation. They, the daughter is in prison and the dad is in prison. Um, so it could have been so much worse. Um, they could have legally arrested our two older daughters and put them in prison down in Mexico, even according to their laws. So I was really nervous to have them go down. But there was another guy who got a court date even before this old man. And uh, he, his bond, his parent, his family was trying to send the bond through Western Union and that much money and it's a large amount of money. Um, Western Union ended up freezing up because it's just a large amount of money going to Mexico. And so they made a delay. And because of that delay, he was stuck in prison longer and uh, to the tune of almost, I think, 10 days, something like that, longer than he should have. Um, whereas because she was down there, she was able to pay the bond at the courthouse because we paid them off even more money um, to allow us to pay the bond there. And I was able to get out the next day, basically. Yeah. So he went, um, so once we paid that bond and finally got it in and taken care of, then um, the next day was Thursday. And we knew that, so he found out that night, you got a, 
a call saying your bond's been paid. And so then he was released on Thursday night. Well, the process started to immigration. Early, but yeah, yeah, I didn't actually get to immigration until probably 6 p.m., somewhere okay. around there. Now, where was um, immigration located? In Hermosillo. Um, the prison is just outside of the city. Uh, immigration is right there in the middle of the city, and it is nasty. It is nasty. I mean, anyone who complains about the U.S. immigration system needs to see the Mexican immigration system because you're, you're in there, you're potentially in a room with 50 other people sharing one bathroom, one shower. You're sharing a five-gallon jug of water with a cup. And sometimes you're sharing a bed with another inmate, like the same bed, not a bunk, the same bed. <laughs> I was blessed to be in a smaller room there at immigration. Um, one of the guys, the older man that was arrested the same day as me, he was in that big room. And so he had a really hard time while he was down there at immigration and he was there for three nights. Um, but I was only there for one night and I was in a smaller room. The worst experience really I had besides just being there was there were these Cubans that were not very happy to be in there. Um, and these are all people basically trying to get to America and immigration, like from every country, Guatemala, um, Jamaica. I was in there with a guy from Uzbekistan, uh, two people from Nepal, and another guy from Northern Africa um, who spoke French. Uh, I can't remember what country. Um, and then there were hundreds and hundreds of Guatemalans there, um, all sorts of people from El Salvador. You know, so all these people trying to get to America illegally. And then I'm the single American they're deporting back to America. So everyone's confused why I'm there, including myself. <laughs> but, but it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, those Cubans were pretty crazy. They were trying to break out, basically kicking the door out. And it's not, a, it, you're locked in, but the, it's not like a prison. They, they could have almost broken out and overpowered the guards there because there weren't that many um, if they would have been able to actually get out. But luckily it didn't get that bad. Yeah. yeah. Were you able to help the elderly gentleman that had been with you during that time with the three days he was there? Yeah, I helped him a ton. I mean, we ended up being chained together um, multiple times and uh, he wasn't not for, through immigration though he was oh yeah not not in immigration yeah for, at the beginning i was able to yeah. help him but yeah he was separate in immigration so at any given time there was only one american at immigration wow yeah so yeah because he was he he was released yeah a few days before matt so yeah. they were never in immigration together yeah he was he had his court date the friday before mine which was wednesday and he ended up being in immigration from Saturday until Monday. Um, is that right? Monday he got out? Yeah, he yeah. got out on Monday, yeah. Um, I guess it was only two nights he was in immigration. Yeah. But still, you know, that one extra night means a lot yeah, when you're in a room happy. like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he was out Monday and I didn't end up going to immigration until the Friday after that. And then there was another guy that ended up going to immigration because um, I was released from immigration, or I went on Thursday, sorry. I went to immigration Thursday, got out on Friday, and there was another guy who went to immigration that Friday night. 
but we never saw each other. We didn't cross paths. So did you, Sabrina, did you go and just wait until they would physically let him go with you or did they drive him up north to the border? So, yeah. So, um, so Thursday we didn't really do anything because there was nothing to do. We were just waiting. So then he was released or put to immigration on Thursday and then Friday, um, I was able to go visit him in immigration. Um, so we went down there, had to wait a while, but then I was able to go in and they just had this little room, um, with the garden there and we were able to talk and hold each other and everything for, for the first time for the first time in two months. Yeah. So it was good to, um, to see him and hold him, um, and realize that, yeah, he was a lot skinnier, like he lost <laughs> a lot of weight, <laughs> which, you know, is like, I guess good, but also just, you know, a little heart wrenching to, you know, why, you know, but, um, it was good to just hold him and, and just talk to each other. And we knew there was a chance we could maybe get him out of immigration. So he kind of just asked me that like, okay, am I getting out? And I just said, I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know if we're going to be able to get you out. And so, um, you know, and he's just like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm going to plan on, on you being able to get me out today. And I'm like, okay, we're going to try, but I don't know. And so then, he had to go back and I came back out. Um, and then, um, we just had our lawyer trying to see if there was any way that he could be released to our lawyer, um, and into his kind of custody to be able to go home. Um, anyway, so we stayed there for as long as we could. Our plan was always, if we couldn't get Matt out that we would go home on Friday. Um, because then we had no idea how many days it was going to be that you have to be in there. Um, and we learned over the process that if um, if you didn't get out on Friday, that they don't let anyone, they don't do any transporting on Saturdays and Sundays. So we knew for sure that he wouldn't be released till Monday if we weren't able to get him out that Friday. So our plan was to leave Friday with or without Matt. And um, then I would just wait at home until I got a call saying that he was released. And then I would meet him in Nogales because they would take him to Nogales. They usually take them, uh, transport them to Nogales. So, um, anyway, so we waited as long as we could, but we didn't want to be driving home in the dark. And so we, um, the lawyer finally came, you know, tried and tried negotiating and stuff and finally came out and said, he will not be able to be released right now, but there's a big chance that they'll take him tonight to Nogales. So we said, okay, so we, um, me and the brothers, we drove to Nogales and we got a hotel room in Nogales on the American side and um, waited to see if um, we were just going to sleep there and wait for a call. Yeah. You know, we were told that Matt was going to be able to call us if he was able to go. And, and he did call us. Matt called us. Um, so Matt has no idea that this is going to happen. He's just in. I thought I was stuck there till Monday. Yeah, uh, I was just once it was already past five o'clock I'm like okay they're, they're not releasing me business hours are over um and then they came in about 8 30 9 o'clock and said you ready to go home and I said yes I'm ready take me home and they're like okay we're gonna leave in like three hours I'm like okay whatever let's do it whenever let's go and uh and he came back like 10 minutes later and it's like actually we're gonna go now it's like let's go I'm like okay I'm now, who are, who, are they? who are they who are they immigration mexican immigration okay so he came and took me out of the room and um 
gave me back the stuff from the prison that I had, which wasn't much. Um, but uh, I, I asked them if I could call and let Sabrina know, let my wife know that I'm headed back. And they let me call, which they weren't planning on. So that would have been interesting. Yeah, if I would have just landed in Nogales and you guys not knowing. Yeah. Anyway, so I was able to call her and said, hey, I'm getting out right now. They're going to drive me back. And so they put me on this big giant tour bus with two other people, the driver and an immigration officer. And I sat in the middle of this 70 passenger tour bus on the way back, what should have been a three hour drive took like five and a half hours, but I didn't care. Wow. I was headed in the right direction. So <laughs> I was happy to be, to be headed back home. So when you got word and met him, where did you guys meet up in Nogales? Okay. So that's a crazy story too. So he, we didn't know for sure if he was going to be let out. So he called me, right? Yeah. You said that yeah. part. He called me. And so that I was like, okay, yes, he is going to. So then we kind of went to bed and then the brother said, just call us when you hear from Matt. And then, um, so we were expecting, I was expecting like, like two or three in the morning that he was going to be uh, there based on kind of it taking him a long time to, to drive there. But um, three o'clock, three 30 rolls around. I kind of woken up. I was able to fall asleep, but I kind of woke up being like, Oh my gosh, you know, am I not getting his call? What's happening? So I call my poor brother, brother-in-laws at like four 30. And I was just like, I just, I don't know. Like, I just haven't heard from him. I just want you to know that. And they were really good. Um, probably really annoyed, but they're really good to say, why don't we go down to the border and just even see where we can maybe pick him up so we know where to go. And so we went, it was probably about 4.30 in the morning and we went down to the border and there's two borders, uh, two entrances, exits. So we went to the one and it was closed. So we knew it wasn't that one. So we went to this other one and we were asking people and they didn't really know. And, um, so we finally just parked and got out and um, went and asked and they were just like, you know, we don't, we don't know, we don't know. And then anyway, I finally got a phone call and Matt can tell your part too, how it went with you. Yeah, but. So they drove me to the border, the immigration, Mexican immigration officer walks me to the American border. So Nogales is the name of the city on both sides of the border. There's Nogales, Arizona, Nogales, Mexico. So they walk me to the border at Nogales, Mexico, hand me over to American Border Patrol officers. And uh, as I'm walking up to the gate, the American guy says, hey, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great. <laughs> how are you? And he's like, good. Um, and the did, guy he, had, did he understand, Matt, where, what had well, happened to you or it's not? not like, it's not like people are coming through there every day, you know? I mean, it happened three times within a week there. There were three different guys that came through. But um, once he was given the paperwork, the guy said, why are you here? And I said, I forgot to take a gun out of my truck. Um, and then they're like, can we see some ID? Nope, I have nothing. <laughs> and they kind of actually gave me a little bit of a hard time. The U.S. Border Patrol did because I didn't have ID. And one of the people there kind of was hardcore and told them I should be in handcuffs and everything. And the Mexican immigration guy was super nice. He like bought me a Dr. Pepper and some treats on the way down. I wasn't in handcuffs at immigration at all or the whole drive back to America. 
Um, anyway, so once I got through the border there, um, I had no idea. I, I have never been to, or had never been to Nogales, Mexico or Arizona. And the border there is crazy. It's just big city by big city, basically. And so you walk across the border and you're in the United States, a big border town, United States, but tons of stuff, like 14 different ways I could have gone. And US Border Patrol, they wouldn't let me use a phone there. So I ended up having to find a random stranger at 4.30 in the morning to let me use their phone to call my wife. And I told the guy, I just said, hey, my phone's in Mexico, which it was, <laughs> still at the first jail, um, two months prior, stuck there. Um, do you mind if I borrow your phone to call my wife? She's somewhere around here looking for me. And uh, he let me use his phone. I called her and said, hey, I'm at the McDonald's. And uh, she was talking to Border Patrol at that time herself, trying to figure out where they drop people off. But it's not like they're dropping a busload of Americans off. So they didn't know. They're like, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to drop them off. It's Mexican immigration. But uh, yeah. And so I, when I was talking to them, my phone rang and I answered it. I didn't. It was a California number it was because of this guy, I guess, that was going to use the phone. But I like figured it had to be about Matt. So I answer it and the Border Patrol was just like, you're not allowed to have your phone right here. And I'm and as they said that, Matt was like, hey. And so I was like, oh my gosh, it's my husband. I have to talk to him. Like, there's no way. I'm like, what do you want me to do? They're like, hang up. I'm like, there's no way I'm hanging up right now. So I just said, can I just go this other direction? Can I just get out of here? They're like, sure. And so then I just kind of ran in the other direction. So I wasn't breaking their rules or whatever. Anyway, it was just kind of funny, but funny, not funny, but anyway. <laughs> and so then I, yeah. And then he just said, I'm at the McDonald's. I'm like, okay, we're right here. I know where the McDonald's is. We're coming right now. And so it just took us like, a couple seconds yeah. get over there and and then we just saw him there standing with his trash bag of belongings <laughs> and got out and were able to just hug him and be with him and um and then we went back to the hotel to to you know maybe get some sleep it's what five in the morning or whatever and, and get some sleep and but we just we just talked and talked and talked we just we couldn't go to sleep and just great to be with each other and and just just talked about everything <laughs> um and so then we finally were like okay let's let's get home so we left at probably six and decided to just get home so we could see the kids and be together with them and my mom watched the kids while I was gone for that week which was awesome and was able to be there with them and um and so we just text them and said hey we're we're on our way home and dad's gonna be home here and you know, three hours, three hours from Nogales, right? Yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. and so then we just, yeah, went home and just got to see them. And that was an awesome reunion also, just hugs and everything and um, got to be with them. And anyway, tears shed. It was great to, to have that reunion also. So Matt, what day did you come home? Uh, Saturday. No, no, no. Um, uh, July, August. Oh, oh um, oh, man. I know we should have the states memorized. <laughs> I should know. But, uh, they uh, don't don't have as much meaning now that they're past, you know. So July is it twenty third? Yeah. Mm -hmm. July twenty third. Wow. So mm -hmm. I know there are many, many things that you have learned through this trial. 
Can you share one thing that this trial has taught you for both of you? Um, so what, for me, it has really helped broaden my gaze on how I look at things. And what I mean is when you're in the day-to-day -day stuff, just doing the same thing over and over again, you get focused on those same things over and over again, right? You know, same problems at work, same problems at home, same problems with the kids, you know, um, but you lose the big picture meaning of all those things, you know? Um, and I gained that vision back. And so um, I really am so grateful. And the scriptures talk about how um, your trials shall be worth gold, you know, and this week and come follow me. Basically, everything has been about how trials, you know, are for your, your better and refine you and open doors that you never would have <laughs> imagined them opening for you. And, and it's, it's real. It's real. Um, God is good. I know when I was in there, I, uh, when I finally got the Bible back, or when I was finally able to get a Bible in my hands, um, you know, halfway through, um, uh, first opened up Joshua and the first ch chapter of Joshua, um, that there's a phrase that's in there multiple times and it just screamed at me. And this was the first time I was able to read a book or any scriptures or anything, you know, for a whole month. And, and the phrase is be strong and of good courage, but it says it like, five or six times throughout this chapter. And it's Joshua, God telling Joshua and then Joshua telling the tribes of Israel the same thing. And then them echoing back that same theme. And uh, so in prison, that just kind of stuck out to me. I'm like, okay, I just gotta be tougher spiritually and, and uh, emotionally, physically, you know, and I was already a pretty tough guy, I feel like, you know? doing everything, you know, I, I should have been doing. Um, so in a lot of ways, I felt like Job. And because of that, I did not want to read the book of Job while I was in prison. <laughs> um, I just kept hoping and praying that I would be out before I got to them. Because I was trying to read the scriptures along with my family as I knew they were studying, come follow me also. And, and Job came and I read Job and it was tough. It was tough reading Job and just getting my own little personal <laughs> experience with, with kind of what Job went through, trying to understand why, you know, bad things happen to good people. <laughs> um, and they do. God makes the rain fall on everyone equally. But at the same time, um, he knows when a sparrow falls. So I know that he gives opportunity for us to grow and he wants us to grow and he's watching us the whole time, carrying us at times. Thank you, Matt. Sabrina? Um, my biggest thing was, um, well, kind of two things. One was um, just you know, people would, you know, just say, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. And those prayers carried me. There's no way I couldn't, I couldn't have um, 
been as strong or as put together or whatever. I mean, I wasn't always, but um, I know, I, I just, I just know that, that it was those prayers that, that helped me get through it. So um, I, I just have a new meaning to that when you say, I'm going to pray for you. Like, that's such a strong people. Are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but we'll pray. We'll pray. And that was huge. That's what I needed. I needed those prayers. Um, and then also just the closeness that I had, that I, um, I had with my heavenly father and Jesus. I, I just prayed so fervently, you know, when, when life is going good, you don't, I guess you don't always think to, or I didn't, I wasn't great to always just recognize them in my everyday life, but I needed them constantly. It was, it was like, I was praying just throughout the day, always just, and for just peace, like, please just help me to have peace. And, and I would pray for Matt. I would pray. I think I realized that the burden wasn't going to be taken away. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be in our timing and it wasn't going to be taken away for him, but I just prayed that he would that it would be made light, that he wouldn't have to feel it so strongly. And, and then I just, yeah, continually just to prayed, prayed for peace. Um, there was this talk that I just listened to that Matt actually had found and told me to listen to. And there's a, hopefully I can remember what it said kind of, but it just said that, um, God can make, um, I don't know, I remember it, the impossible, um, what is that? The impossible to change. That's it. Oh, yeah. He can make the impossible to change become possible to bear or to endure something like that. And um, that resonated with me so much that we couldn't change our circumstances, you know, to, to some degree that they, we couldn't, I couldn't get them out any sooner than what was going to happen, what was meant to be or whatever. Um, and God wasn't going to change that was going to have it be what it was going to be but he helped us he made it possible for us to endure it to to bear it to have that peace throughout it each step and um that was a big thing just to having that closeness um with my heavenly father through all of it and just learning of the love that everyone we just had we just have such a great support system in the church and um neighbors family friends um, old mission companions of Matt's. I mean, there was just so much outreach and love towards us, which was just huge. It was huge. It, it, it makes me ready to just be there. I, you know, I'm just ready to serve because I know how much it meant to me, the service that people gave. And I'm just ready to, to return that and, and show that to other people through things that they're going through, I guess. Um, Matt, I just want to ask you a couple more questions. Um, have you reconnected with your 73-year-old friend <laughs> on this Kids. side of the border? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, one thing um, I've learned is how quickly we now have empathy. And in general, you know, I think this happens for a lot of things so when you have a specific trial when you meet someone who has gone through that same specific trial, right? You automatically have a connection. And um, so we've met now so many people, <laughs> not just that old man, but other people that I didn't, I, I wasn't even in there with, um, who uh, 
we're just now brothers and uh, what we've been out to dinner three different times already since I've been out and had a few other activities along the way. Another person who lives about six miles from us is in there, um, still in there now. Uh, he actually was arrested the day or a couple of days before my court date when I found out I was being released and he ended up being at the courthouse the same day and thrown in the cell with me. <clears throat> excuse me, to go back to the prison um, where he would be checked in for the first day and then I would be released the next day. So I was able to talk to him and kind of explain the whole thing to him. And then we've been in contact with his wife um, who's here now going through what we just went through. So we uh, that, that empathy is amazing and uh, the brotherhood. And I honestly wish I could have that for everyone that goes through other trials as well, <laughs> you know, just being able to instantly feel, you know, the, the love for them and the understanding, you know, yeah. it's, it's a special, special brotherhood for those people. Yeah. And sisterhood. Yeah. And well, I was in contact with their wives. the wives, the wives of a lot of these mm -hmm. people also, um, and kind of going through the, Oh, what have you heard and what's happening? And, um, so it's been great too. Um, and I had a lot of people that, that we've gotten together with now that Matt said, like Matt said, that went through it before us and I was in contact with them a lot and they helped a lot to help me understand things and know what was going to happen and, and stuff like that. And, and so we've been, it was great to see them and be with them and, and thank them and just all of us talk through our experiences together. And, um, yeah, there was a closeness for sure. Um, and with them as well yes yeah. yeah friendship that will last now forever I think. forever yeah. mm -hmm. so before i ask you my last question is there anything else that you would like to share that we might have missed um before i ask you that question um i don't know i don't know, I don't know. We, we've talked about it so many times it's it's hard to remember what we haven't talked about here <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I am thankful, I guess I didn't really say even just for the friends that we went to with it to um, Mexico with were amazing. Um, so I'm very thankful for them. Just, I mean, they felt horrible. <laughs> They're the ones that, you know, are like, hey, come to Mexico with us, you know, of course, but they were great to get in touch with the people that we needed to get in touch with. Um, my friend's husband was just great to that, to do that, to, to drive us to the place, back to the place so I could see Matt in time before we needed to go because my parents weren't there yet. So he did tons of driving um, and tons of investigating and figuring out. And then my friend who's I've been friends with through through high school and everything, um, she was just great to be a support to me while um, going through something that was just so unknown and, you know, and I didn't have family or anyone there and she was just very good um, support through that as well till till I could get back with my family and back home um they were great people to be with so I guess I yeah I'm very blessed to, to have those people in my life too yeah the other the other big um lesson learned is just how much like Sabrina and I actually love each other yeah. you know uh that bond couldn't be any stronger you know than it is now sure just appreciating who each other really are and like I said your narrow view that you get on the day-to-day -day things you know just dealing with 
you know, good and bad things constantly, but that's, that's the narrow view you have on it. And I just feel like I have a perspective that is just so much, <laughs> so much wider forward looking and appreciative and just loving than, than I would have ever had not having gone through this. Great. Wow. So my, my last question that I ask all my guests that I interview is how do you personally seek light on a daily basis? So Matt, how do you personally seek light? Um, you know, I'm a person, I, I like seeing it in other people around me, you know, and even when I was in those circumstances, you know, I would talk to people, even the, the guards that just the guards in there as much as I could. And almost none of them spoke English. Um, and just try to connect in any way, you know, we're, we're all children of God, you know, and finding any little connection I can to me is a testimony of God, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, these are other people on this crazy spinning rock down here, you know, just trying to uh, do the best they can. And, you know, we make mistakes in, in various ways, but uh, even now when, when I talk to people, I love just connecting. I was talking to someone in my ward today who uh, um, had his own big trial recently. He was hit by a car while riding a bike and broke his hip. Uh, he's an old man. And uh, his definition of the experience, he didn't even define it as a trial. You know, he says, I haven't really been through a trial in my life. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> even been through a trial, like it was rough. He almost died, but he looked at it as, a blessing the whole experience because they ended up finding out something else that was wrong with them um, that could have potentially killed them down the road and so he looked at the experience as a blessing <laughs> and not even a trial so I don't know I, I love finding it and talking with other people and and experiences that they have so. Sabrina um, how do I find light um just through, I guess, with prayer and just pray. Um, one thing that I learned a long time ago, I, one of our wards uh, or stakes, they said, they gave us this challenge to pray um, and to pray and say, and to ask Heavenly Father, say, Heavenly Father, please bless me to know this day, like how I can be an instrument in thy hands, like how I can serve thee. Yeah, how what, I can, what thou would have us. Yeah, what thou would have us do this day. And and that was, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And, and since then, I, I try to put that in my morning prayers every morning to just pray. I try to pray, how, let me know, please bless me to be living my life, number one, in a way that I can to ha have that answer, that I can fill thy spirit to know what that, that would have me do. That's most important to be, um, and that I can act upon that, that I can feel that and that I can, can do that and so that I can be for him and um and then I try to do that and then just see and what what I can do and how I can be there for others or for my family sometimes maybe it's just little things and probably most of the time I have no idea what it is that I'm supposed to do necessarily but you know maybe some how I do something or have a little inspiration to do something um so I think I think I guess with that just prayer and 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 just seeking, 
seeking the light, the peace, what, how I can feel peace, how I can help others feel peace and love. Yes. Well, I, I really want to thank both of you for coming on and sharing your story. And, um, it just strengthens my testimony and, you know, those things like, like you said at the end, Matt, about what the brother said that it wasn't, it's not a trial, it's a blessing. And, um, I think when we all look back at our trials, we see how much God is aware of us and loves us and, um, that we are his children and he's aware of the things that we are in need of and what we're going through. So I want to thank you both so much for doing this interview. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.